that verse 14 again, we have the phrase, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Now these, as we can see here, are the words of Elisha, the man who had been the faithful attendant of the prophet Elijah. And now in these verses, he is the successor of the prophet Elijah. In an earlier chapter, back in the first book of Kings, the chapter 19 there, we can see this man, Elisha, as the uh, servant of God, God's chosen, uh, appointed, and anointed successor to Elisha. And in that chapter, we read that Elisha cast his mantle uh, upon Elisha, indicating and confirming in him the office of a prophet. Now the time came when when Elijah was taken away from Elisha. He was taken away so wonderfully to heaven. And Elijah's mantle, garment that was worn around the shoulders of the prophet, it fell off Elijah. And Elisha took it up and with it he took the office of the prophet and all of the authority and all of the responsibility that went with that office. He returned to the river Jordan, and just as Elijah had done in the first eight, uh, we find that Elisha now, he smote the waters with a mantle, and as he did so, he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? He did not ask, where is Elijah? Elijah was in heaven. His work was finished and God had taken his faithful workman home. But God's work did not require Elijah now. It required Elijah's God. All that Elijah had done, all of the miracles were done by the power of God as Elijah himself acknowledges back in that chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Elisha didn't need Elijah. He needed the God of Elijah. So often we hear it said today, especially in this day of apostasy and compromise, in this day of sin and iniquity when it abounds, we often hear it said, we need another Spurgeon, or we need another Martin Luther, or we need another W.P. Nicholson. But we don't. That is not the case. We don't need another Spurgeon or another Nicholson or another Martin Luther. What we need, people, is we need the God of Spurgeon. We need Martin Luther's God. We need Nicholson's God. And this is what Elijah is saying here. He's saying, Elijah has gone. The Lord has taken him home but we don't need Elijah now. His work is done. What we need is Elijah's God. And people, that is what we need today in our province, in our nation, in our churches. We need the God of Elijah. We find Elisha didn't say, where is Elijah's mantle? Oh, the mantle was the instrument, but the power was of the Lord. And yes, the mantle was important, It was the God-appointed instrument in the hand of God's servant. And it's just worth noting here 
that Elisha used the very same instrument that Elijah used. He didn't look for something that was more modern or something that was more novel or something that was more attractive. He used the very same instrument that Elijah used. But he wasn't depending on the mantle alone. It was God he needed. And people, again, there is a lesson to be applied to our own hearts. We use the same old instrument that has been proved and appointed by God and used with the blessing and power of God in the past by the faithful servants of God who have gone on before the instrument of God's word. And we don't look for something that's new or novel or something that the world might find more attractive. We use the same instrument, the word of God. We have that instrument. We have the word of God. But people, we need the God of the word. We need the power of God in the preaching, in the handling of God's word, in our thinking, in our thoughts, in our daily lives. We need the word of God and we need the power of God to enable us to live out that which is found in the word of God. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? It would be beneficial just to remind ourselves who and what this God is. He is the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God. He is infinite and unchangeable in all of his wondrous and glorious attributes, his being, his wisdom, his power, his holiness, his justice, his goodness, his truth. He is the God of infinite power, as Elijah had proved in all of his miracles. He is the God who has power for every impossible situation. He's the God who controls all things. He's the God who Elijah learned controlled the very weather. He withheld the rain. He gave the rain according to his mind, according to his purpose. He's a God who controls the very birds of the air, as Elijah proved when God had the birds to carry the food to his servant, Elijah. He has power, infinite power, to provide for his people when they're in need, when they're hungry, when they're depressed, even as Elijah was and proved. He is the God who answers prayer. And know that we would study the prayers of Elijah. He's a God who has power to write the apostasy of Elijah's day. <clears throat> Elijah lived in a day of apostasy. It was a day of apostate religion when the worship of Baal was to the fore. But God had power to turn the hearts of the people back again to himself. And they rejected Baal, and they proclaimed that the Lord, he is the God, as we have back in the chapter 18 of 1 Kings. God is the God of power. He's the God of provision. He's the God of revival. This is Elijah's God. This is what Elisha is praying for. He's praying here as he goes forward into the work of God. He is praying, give me, let me have the sense of the presence of the power of God, the God of Elisha. This is what Elisha wanted for himself. He wanted the power and the presence of God. 
Where is the God of Elijah? Well, let us just use these words to examine ourselves. Where is he in our lives, in our hearts, in our plans today? What place does the God of Elijah, the God of his word, have in us? Does he have first place, the throne of our hearts, to rule in our lives? Where is he? Where is he today with regard to our own lives? Where does the Lord come in? Oh, we have plans and ambitions, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with having plans and ambitions. But where does God come into these plans? And we have family and friends, and that is a good and a blessed thing. But do they come before God? We have activities, leisure, interests. Where does God come in? First place, does he come before all when we're at work? Where is God in our life? At school? With your friends? Where is the Lord? Oh, yes, it can appear that God has a high place in our lives, especially on Sunday when we're found at the house of God, or maybe when we're with our family, but come Monday, when we're with our friends at work or wherever, where is God then in our lives? Perhaps he's hidden away altogether, perhaps scarcely in your life at all. For Elijah, God was his salvation. God was his salvation. Here's a man, and he was saved by the grace of God. He was saved by faith. He went to heaven. Only the saved will be in heaven. That's why uh, Elijah went to heaven. It wasn't because of the things he had done. Those things are commendable. But he went to heaven in like manner and in accordance to all who are found in heaven. He went to heaven because he was saved by faith in the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was saved by the grace of God. The hymn writer wrote, Elijah's God still lives today to take the guilt of sin away. People, has your sin been put away? Here's a question for our hearts today. This is where we start. At Calvary, at the atoning work of Christ, where the Lord Jesus Christ and his atoning work and the shedding of his precious blood, he satisfied the justice of God on behalf of all who would repent of their sin and call on the Lord to save them. People, have you done that? There's no other way into heaven save uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ and his atoning work. You'll never be in heaven unless your sin has been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Sin will find no entrance into heaven. If you're going to be found there, your sin needs to be dealt with. It needs to be put away. And the only way it can be put away is on the basis of what the Lord did on Calvary when he satisfied God on behalf of those who would put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The wrath of God is turned away from those who trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. My friend, that's the gospel. That's the gospel message. There's salvation to be found in Christ 
but only in Christ. The question today then is, where is the Lord? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is this God of Elijah that saved him from his sins, made him right with God, reconciled him to God on the basis of the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ? That atoning work that Elijah looked forward to on the basis of the promises of God. And he put his trust in the Christ of God who would die on Calvary for sinners. Here's a man, Elijah, saved by the grace of God. My friend, is that where you are today? Is the Lord your Savior today? He was saved by faith. He lived by faith. He believed God. He trusted God. He walked with God. He obeyed God. Even his name, Elijah, it means the Lord is my God. People, is the Lord your God? Has he first place in your life? Or is there something else or someone else who sits first place in your life? They come before God. They come before the will of God, before the word of God. They come before what God would have you to do. Is there something, my friend, that is sitting first place in your life? They have the throne place in your heart. Where is the Lord God of Elijah with regard to a place in our lives and our hearts? But let us use the words to encourage our hearts. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Well, the answer is, of course, he is on the throne. He is the sovereign one. Someone prayed this in the prayer meeting this morning, that the Lord is on the throne. God is on the throne. We sing the chorus, don't we? God is still on the throne. And yes, we live in a terrible day, but God is still on the throne. If we were to turn there to the second psalm, and the opening part of the second psalm, we're told there that the heathen rage, and they rage against God and all that is of God, and they rage against God's people, and they rage against God's word. It makes no difference. God is still on the throne, and all manners of sin and evil abound. And we see it in our day, the killing of babies in their mother's womb. We have the abominable sin of sodomy uh, with what appears to be widespread acceptance in our nation, in the world, in our province. The ungodly rebel and they rant against God, but they cannot dethrone God. That Psalm 2, the first four, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. God's utter contempt of the opposition of his enemies. God's contempt for what took place even yesterday in Belfast when the enemies of God, and what a conglomeration from all specters of life in their sinful depravity, flaunting themselves against God What is the reaction of God? My friend, God laughs at them. He has them in derision. It's as if they think that they can overturn the mind, the will, the word of God. God holds them in utter contempt, in derision. 
God is still on the throne. The Psalm 97, the opening verse, the Lord reigneth. The opening verse of the Psalm 99, the Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. The Psalm 103, uh, verse 19, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all, over all. There's nothing that the Lord doesn't rule over. He ruleth over all. In Daniel 4, the verse 17, he rules in the kingdoms of men. Again, in the Psalm 47, the verse 8, God reigneth over the heathen. God setteth them upon the throne of his holiness. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. Today we have a God who is infinite in holiness. And he sits upon the throne. And he rules over the heathen. And even they rebel against him, God is still in in control. And we rejoice in that today. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He is upon the throne. The throne. He is the sovereign one. God is still on the throne and he will remember his own. He is still the Lord that rules over all. He has lost none of his mighty power. Malachi, third chapter, the first six, he says, I am the Lord, I change not. And as he was in Elijah's day, the Lord on the throne. Although the worship of Baal filled the land, just as iniquity fills our own province and our own nation, he was on the throne then in Elijah's day, in that day of apostasy, and he remembered his own. He remembered his own. He met every need that, he, that Elijah had. Even though all was against Elijah, God met his every need. God remembered him. God was still on the throne. When he was hungry, he fed him. And when he was depressed, he lifted him up and encouraged him. When he was afraid, uh, he comforted him. When he was lonely, God drew near to him. When he was opposed by the enemies of God, God strengthened him so wonderfully and encouraged him. My friend, dear child of God, be encouraged today. We look around us, we see the awful depravity, the iniquity. <clears throat> we see the sin that abounds. Let us not take our eyes off this fact that God is still on the throne. Elijah's God still lives today and answers still in power. He's still the God of revival as he was in Elijah's day. Oh, I'm sure it seemed to Elijah that the whole cause had fallen he thought he was alone. He felt alone. This was his lament, his complaint before the Lord. I and only I am left. Oh, God had a faithful remnant. But poor Elijah, as far as he could see, he was the only one. The only one. I'm sure it seemed a thing impossible that true religion would ever have its day again in Israel. But God moved in power, and he was the God and is the God of revival. 
and he turned the hearts of those people back again to himself, as we read in 1 Kings 18. He made their hearts to turn back again. He gave them the spirit of repentance. And they cried out, The Lord, he is the God. They gave themselves to the Lord. That's revival, people. And God can do that today. In days gone by, when things looked so horribly black and dismal, the Lord moved wonderfully. The Lord greatly moved in power in revival. We look at all revivals and the state of our own land, even before the 1859 revival, was black and dismal. It certainly did not appear that there would be true religion again in our province as far as the majority were concerned. But God came and God moved and God revived our little province again. But so even over in the Isle of Lewis, before revival, uh, we're talking in particular about the 1949 revival in those days, the presbytery of the Free Church put a statement into the local paper lamenting the awful condition spiritually and morally in the land. It was so terrible that they took a lengthy piece of the paper and, and put an article into it, an advert into it, lamenting the condition of the island spiritually. And God moved wonderfully. People, our little province is in the grasp of darkest heathenism. But God can move. Where is the God of Elijah? He's still on the throne. He still remembers his own. He can still and still does meet the need of all of his true and faithful people. He is the God of power. He's the God who can give revival, infinite power. Where is the God of revival? Let us use the words to engage in prayer. Do you see, these words of Elisha are more than words of an inquiry. It was the call of the prophet to God to come and to be with them and to work through him. Where is the God of revival? It was the prayer of Elisha. Elisha felt the need of Elijah's God. And old people, we need to feel that need today. As I've already said, we see the inroads and the progress of the enemies of God and of ourselves. We cannot halt that. We cannot halt it. The danger that is to our children, the danger that is to our grandchildren. Even in the week gone by, we heard that statement from the Secretary of State with regard to what he plans to be taught in our schools regarding sodomy. Taught to little children uh, more than just sodomy, but everything that flows from it. What a danger, my friend, this situation is to our children, to our grandchildren. What are they going to have to face? 
We need to plead with God for God to come in power. He has given to us his promise over there in Isaiah 59 and the verse 19. That promise that when the enemy shall come in like a flood, like a flood, that's how the enemy has come into our nation, into our province, with all of the noise and the force and the destruction of a flood. He said that when the enemy would come in like a flood, then he, the the Spirit of God, would lift up the standard against him. People, we need to plead for that, that God himself, that the Holy Ghost would lift up the standard, the standard of the gospel applied by the Spirit of God to the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. Applied in such a way that sinners are saved and backsliders restored and the people of God edified and brought closer to the Lord. My, that would be the day of revival. That will stem the tide of iniquity in our land. We need to plead for the Lord to come. That prayer over there in the opening verse of Isaiah 64, the prophet is before God. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. That's what he prayed for. That the mountains, the mountains of sin, the mountains of iniquity, that, that, that they might flow down at the presence of God, that God would come down as the very prayer that was prayed even during that time of revival in the Isle of Lewis when an old elder, an old elder, was called upon to pray in a meeting. Meetings were hard, difficult. Duncan Campbell was finding the going difficult. And he asked an old elder to pray. And that's what the elder prayed. He prayed that prayer. He prayed that prayer. Oh, among other prayers that were prayed by other elders, recorded wonderfully for our benefit, But here is what they prayed, that the Lord would come down. A young lad saved in revival, Donald McHale, he was only 16, asked to pray in a meeting. Duncan Campbell was preaching. He found it difficult, so difficult he stopped preaching. He saw this young man that he knew in the meeting, and he says, Donald, will you pray? And Donald got up and he prayed. And he prayed for the presence of God to come. And God came down. Many, many souls were wonderfully and gloriously saved. People, we need to take the promises of God and plead them before the Lord for the Lord's presence. There is no substitute for that. Where is the God of revival? Where is the God of Elijah? We need the God of Elijah. There's no substitute for this. Uh, Not entertainment, not drama, uh, not programs. We need the presence and the power of God. Oh, there are some foolish people and they ask foolish questions. And I've had foolish questions put to me during my time in the ministry, as far as a pastor is concerned. And people would say, but where are the activities? Where is the entertainment for our children to keep them interested and to keep them happy? 
My friend, we don't need those entertainments. What we need is the presence and the power of the God of Elijah. That's what we need. I had an instant in my ministry in Portland on when a young man out of the church, a very useful young man, he got involved in one of the local churches on a Saturday night playing badminton seemed an innocent thing. Playing snooker seemed an innocent thing. But it wasn't that very long until the snooker table in the church wasn't good enough. And so we learned how to play snooker in the church, not my church, in a church in the town. He learned how to play snooker there, and in order to progress, he went down to the pub a few doors down the street and got away from the Lord altogether. After a time, he came back to the Lord. We thank God for that. And he told me, I remember him telling me plainly how he got away from the Lord, and he said, I will never ever again go to those places. I will never even go to that church hall to play snooker or badminton there. One Saturday night, sitting in the house, I got a phone call, and the phone call said, would you go to this young man's house? He said, he's dropped dead. 17 years of age, he dropped dead. I went out to the house, And there was an elder from that particular church there. I said, what happened? He said, I don't know. He said, he lifted the badminton. He wanted to play badminton. He lifted the racket. There was somebody else playing with him. He put the racket up to hit the, it's not called the ball, the shuttle, I think it's called. He put the racket up to hit it, and he dropped dead. He dropped dead. Don't know what happened to him. He made a promise to the Lord. He broke the promise anyway. He dropped dead, my friend. But he learned his entertainment in a church hall that led him away from the Lord. What I'm saying to you people is, as far as your children are concerned, yes, look after them and keep them happy. And there's many, many things you can do with them. But my friend, don't look for the church to give them forms of entertainment and activities that will lead them away from the Lord. That will lead them away from the Lord. What we need for your children uh, to safeguard your children from what is planned for them is the presence of God and the power of God in the church and the power of God seen moving in the land. We need the God of Elijah. Oh, that we might know that today. Elijah's God still lives today. And he answers still in power. May we have our, God, our eyes on the God of Elijah, who he is, what he is. Let our dependence be in him. Let our cry, our call be unto the God of Elijah, that he will come amongst us in power, in mercy, in grace, and that the Lord will deliver us again in this little province. I and deliver our nation from the awful apostasy and compromise and sin that abounds. May God do it for his own pleasure and for his own glory. May it please the Lord.